Good evening. We're glad you're here tonight. Thank you to Jordan for reading our scripture. We appreciate so much the opportunity to be back. We are glad that you've chosen to come back tonight. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us. We're very grateful for the opportunity to be together. And we hope and pray that our time spent together tonight will benefit each and every one. Very thankful for a good day, beautiful day, and uh, makes you happy to be alive. And so we're thankful for this beautiful weather and uh, hard to believe the end of the year is coming, or rather New Year's coming, I guess I should say, 2021. And so I hope you're making plans now to make 2021 a great year and hope that uh, you will live a, an anchored life in Christ in 2021. I do want to mention very quickly that Jared and I this past week, we sat down and, you know, over the past year we've looked at key verses for 2020. In 2021, what we're going to do is focus on key chapters in the Bible. And we have made a list of those, and there is a date out beside every chapter. And if you want to know what we're going to be talking about on Sunday night, you can get a copy of that. I think they are in the foyer. So if you want to get a copy of that tonight, you're welcome to do so. And so we hope and pray to have a great year. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, as we think about the architect of the home. And you remember in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible introduces us to the Creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the one that created the world that we inhabit. And God also said in verse 26, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. You recall in chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible tells us that God formed man from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the Bible says he became a living soul. And then down in verse 31 of chapter 1, after God surveyed his creation and looked upon all that he had made, his conclusion was, it's very good. Tonight as we think about the architect of the home, I want to begin by suggesting that there are three divine institutions that we read about in Scripture. The first, of course, would be the home. The second would have to do with the civil government. The third, the church. We've talked about the church recently. Tonight, we want to think about the home. And in Genesis chapter 2, we have the framework for the home as we know it. I want to begin by talking about the origination of the home. A moment ago, I looked at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when God surveyed all that He had created. And God looked upon that which He had made, and His conclusion was, it is very good. In chapter 2, verse 18, however, when God looked upon Adam, His creation, listen to what the text says. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him, some translations say, a helpmeet or a helper comparable to him. Now you know in this context, God has already made the animal world. The animal world was not a sufficient complement to the man. God in His infinite wisdom created the woman. And so in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. 
And while in that deepened sleep, God extracted a rib from the side of Adam. And from that rib, He made the woman. And then He brought her to the man. Adam then responded by saying, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from the man. So here we have a picture of God creating not just Adam, but the perfect complement to Adam, the first man, and that being Eve. In verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife or be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God is the author. He is the architect of the home, isn't He? And you look at the home today. And think about how many people in this world have been blessed by the architecture of the home. God has richly blessed us, hasn't He? He has given us a suitable companion to enjoy life with. Now what I want to do for a moment or two is talk now about the obligations in the home. It's one thing to talk about the originator of the home, the origination of the home. When we look at what the Scripture says, the Bible talks about in a very plain and forthright way about the obligations in the home. I want to preface this by saying when God created man and then in His wisdom created the woman, He did not create another man to complement the man, but rather he, he, rather he created a being, a human being, that would be the perfect complement to man's needs, biologically, physically, emotionally, sexually. The woman is the perfect complement. The man is the perfect complement to the woman, right? So what about the obligations that rest in the home? There are two thoughts here, and I want to maybe spend a minute or two and talk about this whole concept of marriage. Now, Moses wrote in verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and cleave unto his wife, or be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Before we ever engage in this leaving and cleaving process, there are some things that we ought to consider. Now, to those of us who are married, what I'm about to say does not apply to us because we've already made the decision to leave and cleave. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I really want to direct what I'm going to say now to those of you who have, who have not yet chosen a mate. There are some things that you need to think about before you ever say, I do. First and foremost, you need to make sure that the person you choose is a person of faith. Now, there are two ways to look at this. Sometimes people, in choosing a mate, rather than looking for a mate of faith, they let the flesh guide them. Let me tell you what, I don't care how beautiful that girl may look. 
She might look like she stepped out of Hollywood, but at some point in time, if she is not a person of faith, you're going to have a hard road. So think about it for a minute. The person you choose to marry, you want that person to be guided by faith, don't you? Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. You can choose somebody who is out in the world, who's never obeyed the gospel. It might be the case you can convert them. And many times I have people, I've had people come to me and say, well, you know what, I wouldn't be a Christian today if it weren't for my mate. I get that. But those are rare exceptions. What I want to emphasize is, when choosing a mate, choose a child of God. Choose a Christian. Choose somebody that has the same ideals as you. And we talk about a person of faith. I would also add to that a person who is focused. And by that I mean, are they secularly minded or spiritually minded? Does it make a difference? Yes, it does. You choose somebody who is secularly minded. Let me tell you what, they're going to make it hard for you to live a life of faith, aren't they? Again, Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. At some point in time in your marriage, in all probability, you're going to bring children into this world. So you got a mama or a daddy. One's a Christian, one's not. One is interested in going to heaven, the other is not. As a child of God, you're doing everything within your power to lead your children to heaven. Your mate's doing everything in his or her power to lead them to hell. Somebody says that's pretty plain. Sure is. Needs to be plain. You need to understand, when you sign on that dotted line, this is forever, till death do you part. No do-overs. You better make sure you get it right. You better choose a person of faith. Choose a person who is focused, whose desire is to go to heaven. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your affections, set your mind on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Choose a Christian. Choose somebody that wants to go to heaven, that will help you get to heaven. And then you need to look at your future mate's family. What kind of family did they come from? The person you marry, let me tell you what, you're marrying into their family. Are they good seed? Are they members of the body of Christ? Are they spiritually minded? Are they going to be the kind of in-laws that are going to help you and reinforce your faith, reinforce your focus? Or are they going to do everything within their power to undermine you and undermine what you're trying to do as a child of God? What kind of family they come from? You know, if you marry outside the Lord's church, it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. I'm not saying you can't make it. But I'm just saying it can be a hard, hard, hard road.
So what's their family like? Are they kind and loving and supportive? Are they responsible people? Are they the kind of people that you would trust your children with day in and day out? You need to think about that. You need to think about what kind of in-laws you'll have. Are they going to be in your business? Are they going to be trying to run your business from afar? If you've got somebody as an in-law who is meddling in your affairs, it's going to be trouble in your marriage. You better think about this. What about their finances? Are they responsible with their finances? When you get married, guess what? All that money goes in the same place, doesn't it? You make it and they spend it. How do you like that? Are they responsible? Trustworthy? Do they have habits unbecoming of a child of God? Let's say you marry outside the church. And you marry somebody... And they're using your hard-earned money to buy cigarettes and beer and whiskey. They're going to the dog tracks over on the other side of the river and gambling. Is that, is that what you want? You need to think about it. You need to think about the kind of person you marry. You marry somebody that has unbecoming habits before you get married. Let me tell you what, you think you're going to change them, you will not change them. In all probability. You better think. You need to think about the kind of person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So, first, the priority of marriage. Moses said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother... Let's just pause there for a minute. First, the responsibility to leave. You ever heard the expression, cut the apron string? When you get married, you can't be running back to mama and daddy if you're not old enough to stand on your own and stand as a family unit, you're not old enough to be married. You're not mature enough to be married. I understand the importance of trusting our parents and relying upon them for information, assistance, in the sense that we're looking to them for advice, etc. But when you get married, you've got to stand on your own two feet. If you can't stand on your own two feet, you don't need to be getting married. You need to be a separate unit. God said a man's to leave his father and mother. Too many times, young people get married, and rather than cutting that apron string, they're still living off mom and daddy. That's not what God intended. God's intent is for a husband and wife to stand on their own two feet and be their own family. First, the priority. And then the permanence. Moses said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. The word cleave here. K 
cares whether the idea of sticking or gluing together, binding together. What God is saying is, when you enter into that sacred relationship called marriage, it is a permanent institution till death do you part. A lot of times, individuals get married, they fail to take into consideration the permanency of marriage, and they view it as expendable. If it doesn't work out, we'll just put one another away and then get married again. That may be what the world does, but that's not what God said we're to do. So go with me to Matthew chapter 19 for a minute. In Matthew chapter 19, you remember the religious leaders came to Jesus on one occasion. They asked Him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Jesus then answered their question with a question. Jesus asked, have you not read? Let me tell you, one of the real problems with regard to the home today and marriage, the sanctity of marriage, is men and women have not read what God's Word has to say. They are ill-equipped to engage in the marital relationship because they have no idea what God wants from that relationship. They don't understand the expectations, the responsibilities, the accountability of marriage. So when Jesus asks, have you not read? Before you engage in the marital relationship, you need to make sure you know exactly what God wants. Exactly what God demands in that relationship. So he said, have you not read? That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. He said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He said, wherefore there are no more two, but one flesh. Now listen to him in verse 6. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. What are you saying, Jesus? Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 19, marriage is a permanent institution, isn't it? Now you remember they raised the question, why then did Moses command to give a writing of divorce to put her away? Jesus then said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered, permitted, or allowed you to put away your mate. But from the beginning, he said, it has not been so. All right, Lord, what are you saying here? Jesus, in responding to their question, took them back to the very beginning. God's original intent for the home. One man, one woman for life. God allowed permitted divorce under the Mosaic dispensation. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses legislates divorce under that covenant. If a man found some sexual impropriety in his wife, he could put her away. But God said, my original intent is one man, one woman for life. Now look at verse 9. In verse 9, Jesus said, But I say unto you, now you need to understand something right here. The Lord Jesus is inserting divine authority. 
You remember, for example, back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said on a number of occasions, you've heard that it's been said by them of old time, but I say unto you, inserting His divine authority, does the Lord Jesus have all authority today? Matthew 28, 18, all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And God the Father said, Matthew 17, 5, we're to hear Him. Jesus now inserting divine authority. And Jesus said, but I say unto you, Whosoever putteth away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marrieth another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away, doth commit adultery. What did the Lord mean there? I do not mean to be facetious. He meant exactly what He said, didn't He? You don't have to be, you don't have to be some Einstein to understand what Jesus said about marriage and divorce in Matthew 19. One man, one woman for life. Jesus here giving an acceptive clause to the marital relationship. He's saying that if your mate is unfaithful, you have the right but not the obligation to put that, way, that mate away. You have the liberty of taking them back, of forgiving them, taking them back, and continuing on in that marital relationship. The innocent party, however, has that right if he or, if he or she so chooses to put the unfaithful party away. And then, biblically speaking, the innocent party has the right to engage in another marital relationship insofar as the person they choose is biblically eligible to marry. The guilty party, however, you need to hear this, the guilty party has no right to get married again. That's why when we talk about marriage, you need to understand this is a permanent institution. I get it. We live in a day and time when people divorce, they remarry, they do it for any number of reasons. But there is only one authoritative biblical reason for the putting away of a mate. The only biblical authoritative reason for putting a mate away is adultery. If your mate's adulterous, you can put that mate away and you're free. That adulterous mate, however, is not free to remarry. Now I know that there are some people that will have a number of things to say about that. Some would say, well, you know, Matthew chapter 19 only applies to Christians. I don't buy that. You remember what Paul said in Acts chapter 17 when he was preaching to the Athenians? The times of ignorance God winked at but now commands all men everywhere to repent. The law of God applies to those in Christ and out of Christ. So when it comes to the marital relationship and the teaching of Matthew chapter 19, what the Lord Jesus is saying is, you better be very sure about who you marry because it is for life. Now you remember in Matthew chapter 19, when the disciples heard this, 
Their response was with regard to the marital relationship. I mean, if this is the case, they said it's not good to marry. Well, Jesus said, all men cannot accept this saying or this teaching. I know there are a lot of folks, they don't buy into what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 19, but let me tell you what, it stands just like it reads. I can't circumvent it. I can't alter it. I can't rewrite it. It is what it is. Somebody says, well, what does it mean? Listen to him again. But I say unto you, whosoever putteth away his wife, and except it be for fornication, and marrieth another, committeth adultery. Whosoever marries her who is put away commits adultery. If you can't understand that, then see me after it's over with tonight. It's just that easy to understand. Now you remember what Jesus said about the marital relationship and this tie. In Matthew chapter 19, in verse 12, He talked about those who were eunuchs. They were born eunuchs from their mother's womb. He said there are some eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And then he said, there are some eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. What do you think the Lord's saying there? A eunuch would be an individual who does not have the capacity to engage in a sexual relationship. And what Jesus is saying is, there are some people based upon the teaching that I've just set forth, must live a celibate life if they want to go to heaven. Now look, this is a hard saying, isn't it? Hard teaching. Just like in John chapter 6, when Jesus identified himself as the bread of life, and they said, this is a hard saying, difficult saying, who can accept it? You need to understand that what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 19 is applicable to all people. It will cost some people their eternal soul. And please don't misunderstand. I don't want you to get the idea that, I'm, that I am hard-hearted, that I'm trying to be insensitive. I, I know this is an emotional subject. But could I say to you, I have family members who are living this very hour in an adulterous union. And that doesn't change the truth of Almighty God no matter what. Doesn't matter if it's my, doesn't matter if it's my parents, my grandparents, my siblings. Truth is truth. When it comes to standing for divine truth, listen, I don't have friends and family. Truth is truth. Now, it might be that you're in a situation, a hostile relationship. Maybe the person that you're married to has put an incredible burden on you in this life. There are people that fear for their life in the marital relationship. 
their husband beats them on a regular basis. Well, you don't have to stay in that relationship. You can separate, but you can't get remarried. That's not a biblical reason for putting a mate away and engaging in another marital relationship. Only one reason. That reason spelled out by Jesus, Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. Now I want to think just very quickly about the operation of the home. You remember, again, Moses said, A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I want to direct your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 5 for a minute. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and about verse 14, the Apostle Paul there talks about a younger woman, a younger widow. He said, I will therefore that the younger women, younger widows marry. When you get married, first and foremost, understand you have a new partner. It's no longer about you, it's about the two of you, isn't it? And so there are certain responsibilities that go along with that relationship. From the, from the vantage point of the husband, the Bible says that the husband is to love the wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Could I say tonight, you talk about setting the bar. Paul set the bar. I don't know many of us that have the ability to love our mate as Christ loved the church. But I can tell you this. If as a husband we treat our mate like Christ treats the church, we won't have problems in our marriage. If we demonstrate sacrificial, self-giving love day in, day out, they genuinely know that we care about them, that we're concerned about them, that we're compassionate, that we have their best interest at heart, that we have their back, that we're willing to do what we can to make their life the very best, it'd be a great relationship, won't it? You could read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul there talks about some of the characteristics of love, and those characteristics have to, have to undergird the marital relationship. Things like kindness and long-suffering. But for the husband to genuinely love the wife. Then, of course, Paul teaches in Titus chapter 2 that those who are women, they're to love their children and to love their husbands. Really, when we talk about agape love, it is a learned response, isn't it? We talk about puppy love and falling in love. You learn to love somebody over time, don't you? To me, the greatest illustration that I can think of from a human vantage point concerning agape love is children. I don't think I ever understood truly agape love till I had a child. Because you love that child unconditionally, don't you? So as, so as a husband or wife, to learn to love your mate unconditionally, to show agape love toward them. So you got a new partner. How are you going to treat your new mate? 
Are you going to treat them as the Lord would have you to on a daily basis? No, the goal is to be happy, to enjoy life together. Marriage can be a blissful thing. Sometimes we talk about marriages made in heaven. Marriage can be like heaven, but it can also be not so heavenly, if you know what I mean. So you got a new partner. And then Paul said, you become a new parent. He said, I will therefore that the younger women marry and then, listen to him, bear children. When you bring children into the marital relationship, that changes everything. That's a new dynamic, isn't it? And you remember Paul said that the aged women were to teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. So now you've got another responsibility. You're not just thinking about your mate, but now you're thinking about this bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. This child that you have brought into this world. And to those of us who are fathers, we have the responsibility of being spiritual leaders in the home, don't we? Didn't Paul say in Ephesians 6 verse 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To rear our children in a godly home. I mean, that's the goal, isn't it? And both mom and dad can work together. And I think about moms, the patience and the love that they have on a daily basis. The fact that they're training and molding these, these young children. Children are like sponges and they're just growing daily, mentally and physically, emotionally, spiritually. We have the opportunity to mold and to bend them toward heaven. So you become a new parent and all the responsibilities that come along with that. Read Psalm 127 this week. And look at what the psalmist had to say about the home and about bearing children. He said, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. And then Paul said, not only do you have a new partner, not only do you become a new parent, but he said, you have a new position in life. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, and listen to him, guide the house. The woman becomes the caretaker, the manager of the home. There are a lot of things that, that men do well. There are a lot of things that women do well. There are some things that women do far better than men. One of those things is running the home. Aren't you grateful? for a godly wife, a godly mother? Aren't you thankful that there's somebody that has the ability to guide and to manage the affairs of the home? That's a blessing. I want you to know, you know, we, often we oftentimes talk about mothers on Mother's Day, but I want you to know, to those of you who are mothers, I applaud the work you do. I, I don't think that we could ever say enough about the good things you do in the home. Your influence, your love, your compassion, your care, your kindness, your tenderness, I mean all of those things are what make a home special. You know some homes you go into and there's just 
a sense of warmness. There's a warmth there. I'm convinced in many homes it's the woman, the mother, the wife that brings that warmth into the home. So thank you. Thank you for who you are, for what you are, and for what you mean to the human family. You know, the church today is strong because of a lot of godly women. There are a lot of congregations today, I'm telling you right now, those congregations are where they are because they have had godly women that have been behind the scenes working and laboring and doing all kinds of good things. And we don't have time to go into what Paul said in Ephesians 5 about the submission of the woman in the home. And that's a whole lesson right there. But I want to say this, if as a husband we treat our mate like the Bible instructs us to, submission's not a problem. It's not about being a dictator. It's not about being a tyrant in the home. But rather we're side by side. And we're walking hand in hand. We love one another. We appreciate one another. We understand that we have different roles, different responsibilities. That's why God made us different. But we are living in such a way so that one day we can be together in heaven. You know what? If you get your family to heaven, you get that biological unit, your family, you get them to heaven, job well done. Well done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you for the home. And Father, we thank you for your wisdom in the architecture of the home. We thank you for loving us enough to provide us with an environment where we can know true, genuine love. And Father, we thank you for every blessing we enjoy in this life. And Father, we admit our imperfections, our failures. There are times as husbands and fathers, we're not what we ought to be. And Father, there are times when those who are wives, mothers, they fall short of their expectations. And Father, we ask you to forgive us when we're not what we ought to be. May we have the resolve to follow your word, to live by your word, to be the kind of home with which you would be pleased. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I apologize for going late tonight, but a lot of material to cover. Thank you for being here. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? To believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. To repent of all your sins, to confess His name, to be buried in baptism so that you can rise to walk in newness of life. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God and you want your sins washed away, we can baptize you this very hour. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, could we encourage you to come home, to come home tonight? The beauty of God is He will lovingly forgive, put the past behind you, and you can go forward. Be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life.
Won't you come as we stand and sing?